Hello and welcome to Raise a Glass, the podcast where we talk about the story and storytellers that shape us. My name is Eric Lintola. And I am Hunter Danson. And I am Andrew Mosher. You heard that right. Andrew Mosher is joining us today. Um, I am just so grateful to have you here. Um, Andrew is um, one of my very best friends. Um, He is an incredible storyteller. Uh, and uh, I'll put in the pitch right now, and I'm sure we'll pitch it later on. You need to uh, purchase some of his comics, follow him uh, on all the social media accounts, and um, commission art from him, um, and invite him to your wedding to uh, draw art. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just so grateful to have him here. I, I know you've got a busy life and a lot of things going on, um, and I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more about you as the episode goes on. Um, and I'm excited because I got to spend more time in your storytelling this week. Um, and I got to invite one of my other very best friends, Hunter, uh, into uh, some of your, uh, some of the works that you've, some of the stories you've told. Um, so thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, and so of course, before we dive into that, um, we need to start by knowing uh, what is in your glass. Hunter, I'm going to send this to you first. What is in your glass? Uh, well, unfortunately, I didn't have a fat tire or any PBRs in the house, <laughs> and I couldn't get to the store in time. But um, as I was reading these comics, I just felt very comforted. Um, so I have some peppermint tea and a uh, ginger snap cookie that my Ooh. wife made. Um, now we gotta hear very this. comforting. Can we hear the snap? It's not really snappy. Okay, it's a ginger soft. Ginger soft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about you, Andrew? Uh, in my glass tonight, I have the Piff, which is a, a beer from Six Point Brewing out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. What what type of Beers. It is a hazy double IPA. Okay. Mm. Is it like related to like Puff the Ma- Magic Dragon? I don't think so. I I don't know if there's a meaning behind the name, but I think it's very fun. It sounds vaguely British. <laughs> like fake British. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, yep, okay. And it's a double IPA? Hazy double IPA. Hazy double IPA. Yes. Okay. What are with these double IPAs? Nice. Hunter, you had one last week. That's... I just... Every time you guys say that, I just think Dippa in my head. I just, but I, I don't know if that means anything. Um, if it does mean something bad, I apologize. But, uh. hmm. and uh, so Eric, what do you have in your glass? Yes. Um, well, I might need your help remembering what I have in my glass, but I have a um, a carrot cake brown ale from Hamburg. Is it Hamburg Brewing or is it just? I think it's Hamburg Brewing. Hamburg yeah. Brewing, um, which is a place, not a place that brews hamburgers. Um, although that would be a very interesting, um, yes, it would be the same color as the beer is now. (laughs) It would taste very different though. Um, you get notes of carrot. Um, I wish there was more spice in it though, um, Mm. as a, or like maybe some cream cheese frosting. Um, uh, I also want to say that throughout this episode, um, Andrew and I will also be consuming not only water, but a... Um, locally, locally, um, 
roasted, roasted Congolese uh, coffee from mm. New City Cafe. Um, and so uh, it is brewed in the background. Hopefully it's not burnt by the time we get to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should take that off. Um, but I'm really excited to continue to support one of uh, my favorite coffee shops in the area. And Rochester's yeah. got a lot of great coffee. Yeah. Um, so at some point we will make the switch. And you might hear it, dear listeners. Uh, but we don't stop there on this episode, on this podcast. Uh, we also need to know what uh, each other are raising one up, raising a glass to, and pouring one out for. Um, and since we finally got rid of the, uh, I, guess I keep forgetting like the right words this week. I just am like so close to it. The veil. I feel like for a long time we were pretending like we didn't have something to raise a glass mm. or pour one out for. But they like we finally yes. ripped that veil in half and said. No, we will always raise and pour one out. Um, it will be no filter. In, yes, hashtag no filter hashtag. Um, that's how cool we are. Um, the hashtag comes <laughs> after the at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hunter, <laughs> what are you raising and pouring one out for? Uh, I am raising a glass to Jerry Ryan, who plays Seven of Nine on Star Trek Voyager. We did our Star Trek episode. I hadn't yet gotten to to through season four, which is where they introduce mm. says it's seven of nine. She's like a half Borg. Well, she was a Borg and then her, her connection to the collective gets severed. And so, <clears throat> but in spite of the fact that they put her in four inch heels and a costume with a corset, like she delivers an amazing performance and um, gives the character so much depth. Uh, and really explores her humanity. And she just like elevates every scene that she's in, uh, including some of the recent Star Trek Picard episodes that I watched. Mm. I started trying to watch the first season. Mm. and But um, I am pouring one out for the logistics of visiting family and visiting uh, friends and, and and not not actually visiting, not the visits. I want to make that clear, <laughs> but the logistics, like figuring mm. out the dates ah. and the times. It's just I hate it. I hate it. I know it's it's worth it, so I do it. Um, but I am just I'm not gifted in that area. Um, I have to look at my calendar, like every time someone asks me something about a date. Uh, <laughs> And it's just it's just a chore, um, but it's it's worth it in the end. Kids make this all so much harder, so much easier when you weren't True. married, didn't have kids. Like just show up. At least that's your calendar might be more empty, but your capacity to go out and do something is also reduced in equal <laughs> measure. So it's simpler, but just as hard to actually align. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Andrew? Uh, Today I'm going to pour one out for self-control or a lack of self-control. And for me, uh, I'm I'm thankfully at the tail end, but I've been in kind of a slump where I've been consuming rather than creating. And so Mm -hmm. I've been, and I'm not even consuming, um, you know, world-class literature like uh, you guys do on this podcast. Uh, I've been watching a guy play video games on the internet. So it's not even enriching in any way. And I've been losing a lot of time. So I'm going to pour one out for that. 
but related, I'm going to raise a glass to rediscovering music from earlier in my life. Mm. Uh, the album that I went back to this weekend was uh, Flaming Lips, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, which came out when I was a freshman in college and um, was a very big album for me that year. I, I played it a ton of times, but I lost track of it and I haven't listened to it in probably almost 20 years. Mm. And uh, it's really good. It's really good. The whole album holds up. Um, and I was able to put that on and turn off the videos and get some drawing done. So nice. definitely raise a glass to that. That's great. So Eric, yeah. how about you? I'm just thinking about what I would go back to and like, it I, doesn't all hold up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of shows the nerdiness of myself and my freshman roommate. We were paired together. We didn't, the one thing, the, the two things we had in common were like music. He was a guitar player as a bass player and Lord of the Rings. We both love Lord of the Rings. And so on my iPod touch uh, with like in the iHome, like which is still in my basement today, um, uh, I would just put on like random and that would wake me up like at my alarm. And there were multiple times when we were both woken up to like, you know, or the Shire theme song. <laughs> there is like, I guess that's what I'd go back to. <laughs> Which I think it still holds I up. I found the music. song uh, Move Along by the All-American Rejects recently. Uh, and I never listened to the All-American Rejects, but there was a Halo Machinima music video uh, uh. of Move Along by the All-American Rejects. And it holds up. The music video, not so much. The song really holds up. But, uh, cool. Uh, uh, so let me get back, back on track. Uh, for me, I am pouring one out to hurry. Um, I think this is pretty similar to what I was pouring one out for last week um, as I got in a, a slight bump uh, fender bender um, in which no fenders were actually bendered. Um, but I've realized that like I've just been like trying to hurry from thing to thing and like feeling overwhelmed, feeling like I've got too much to do. And, and I don't want that. And like, I've had really a couple really bad migraines the last few months. Like they've fully escalated from where I've been in the past. Like I've never been in a car accident that especially not one that I've caused. And, um, and I was like, those are not yellow flags. Those are, those are red flags. Those are like, there is something wrong. Um, and uh, after listening to many friends recommend it for a few years now, started listening to the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, um, which um, I started listening to it yesterday as I was working in my backyard. It's probably a book that's best read um, rather than like multitask. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's something that it's not that long of a book and, and I might bring it up in a future episode. Um, which is what I'm raising a glass to is actually not just this book, but to friends and family that call me out and say, Hey, you say I need to take time. Like you need to take time. Like something's wrong. You need, you need space. You need to margin. Um, like this isn't sustainable. And so I, I appreciate that. Um, and both of you are guys that I, I know have and, and will continue to and 
you know, uh, call me out and things like that too in my life. So yeah, that's what I'm raising the glass to. Cheers. 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 Per usual, Hunter and I have uh, missed not communicated well, and we've chosen opposite types of uh, drinks. I feel like every episode, one of us has an <laughs> alcoholic drink, and one of us doesn't, and it is never planned. Mm -hmm. um, but hashtag no that filter. Is not, no filter hashtag. <laughs> it's, not, it's actually, I don't know what the cool thing to say is for like authenticity. I don't know. What I, I think. <clears throat> I think if we said it wouldn't be cool, so they're probably oh. maybe if you said it. <laughs> um, but what I am excited to talk about today is, in fact, and I just shared this: um, the storytelling of one of my good friends, Andrew Mosher. Um, and <sighs> there's so many ways you can go about this conversation. Um, and I know we both have questions that we want to ask you, and um, and I want to give you a first word. So, like, is there anything you want to share just to open up the conversation? Because um, and then I want to ask Hunter what his thoughts are. So, because I've experienced your art, I've been with you in some of this yeah. creation process, not as a creator, but just seeing as things have gone along. Uh, but this was the first time Hunter's interacted with your work. But before we ask him, I want to make sure in this episode we give you the first. And the last word. Um, so is there something you want to open up with? Yeah. So first, I'll just say uh, thanks for having me on the, the podcast. It's really cool to and uh, intimidating to have my work kind of <laughs> looked at seriously and not just looked at flippantly. Um, it's, uh, it's really cool. So um, mostly with my work, I... For me, the thing that binds all my pieces together, so we're going to be talking about some comic books, some comic strips, and some uh, paintings mm -hmm. today. Uh, so I've done different, worked in kind of different uh, fields of illustration over the years. And the, the thing that always comes back to me that's interesting is um, just capturing a quiet moment, a moment where the character in the scene is thinking something that only they can hear and Usually, you can tell what's going on um, by looking at the picture. Um, and from looking at the context clues, I like to put a lot of details on my pictures. Um, but yeah, so so as we go through this, and hopefully it was evident as uh, you guys were reading my comics and looking at my stuff, it's really just about what's going on um, on the inside in a quiet little moment, our, our internal thoughts. Oh, I love that. Capturing a quiet moment, capturing something only they can hear only the wow it's it's about the the connection with what's going on around them but also inherent in being a human you can be connected to everything around you but you are also isolated because no one else can hear what's going on inside your head and yeah. so it's it's the both sides of that coin it is the connection and it is the isolation i i just thought of something as you're saying that and i i know i want to get hunter slots but Page 15 of Regular Life, which we'll talk about this, but it's it's where, right where it opens. This is this is the, this is what I thought when you were saying that, um, because you're in this this comic strip and it's just four panes, and you are like off off camera almost mm -hmm. like you, half of you is on on the on camera, 
and it almost reminds me of office space. Yes. Um, and um, your character is just kind of slightly listening to what this, this character is, is talking about. I don't know if it, um, no. And, and it, the only thing you say in the whole thing is <laughs> you do this little laughing and it's just, it's just such a good job. Before I talk about it, say what it says. I know that no contents of this book may be reproduced without permission by the author, <laughs> except for small excerpts for review purposes. Yes, um, are you we allowed have, to? You have my permission. Okay, <laughs> you, can, you can read the words in the book. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> um, it just it, this guy like leaning next to, to at the uh, computer, the desk next to you. Say, hey, they got a potluck upstairs, a whole room for desserts. The person said the, ca- the computer's like. Wow. Like, get away from me. I ate so much, I got the brownie sweats. And then you're, you right there just going, <laughs> and that, that, that's what I thought of when you were talking about capturing a moment. So, I don't, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's a, that's a good example. This has got so many of them. Is the genre term slice of life? Is that... I think that's very applicable. Okay, I think that's that's very applicable. I and that's also, I mean, the the collection of my comic strips is called Regular Life. It's it's right. very much a a this is not an extraordinary tale. This is just what happens in real life and trying to capture those moments that really have no real import. It's just an odd thing, a funny thing. Uh, a tender thing, just something that happens in a, a moment in your day and can be easily forgotten. Uh, and so these moments that I've captured in these comic strips are ones that have stuck out to me and I've tried to uh, record them to give them more weight, to elevate them mm-hmm. in some way, to show the beauty of just our regular everyday life of yeah. these these moments of something strange or mm-hmm. ah, oh my goodness. okay well let's talk about it can we so i know we've got two different types of stories we've talked about yeah. it um we I, wait, yes. I haven't we haven't given hunter time I'm, I'm just so excited for this conversation <laughs> that i just like i'm like talking my head like five steps down from where we are at with instead of letting the moment be i'm trying to hurry i don't know what's up with this i'm just <laughs> so excited um can, Hunter, I want to know what, what are your thoughts? Um, I just, as somebody who loves Andrew's work personally, and I've seen a lot of, and I've you know, received pieces of it going back a few years now. Um, and I've seen them around your house and, and, you know, again, seeing these pieces, it's just, this is your first time interacting with them, Hunter, in the last week. Um, yeah. Um, I'd said at the beginning, I felt um, comforted (laughs) Um, because I think like, especially regular life is just, uh, it's like you said, like capturing a moment, Um, kind of like mindfulness in a way, Um, which reminded it, it, I interacted with the same way I interacted with like poetry um you know where i don't Mm. i don't try to read generally i try not to read poetry just to read it and to get through it Mm -hmm. i try to read it to experience it and um 
you know, take time with it. And uh, it was it was interesting because like I haven't read too many comics. Um, I, I remember like one of my earliest experiences was Garfield. I like found Garf Garfield book at uh, like a like a church thrift sale or something. <laughs> um, so I just read a ton of Garfield comics and um, Calvin and Hobbes, of course. And uh, I, d I read some a little few years ago. I was I wanted to read the comics behind Civil War. So I read Civil War. And then I read uh, the Superior Spider-Man run of comics. Um, yeah, Civil War as in Marvel. Marvel, Marvel Civil so not War. Like, yeah. Not like no. the Civil War. <laughs> Avengers. Like, yeah. The, the political rivalry comics. Uh, the movie's before. better. Hashtag hot, yeah. hot take. But. Um, <laughs> hot take hashtag. I, I don't know. Better is not the right word, but it is. for me it was. But uh, so I was like, when I first started reading, I was like looking for the punchline when I was reading like regular life, you know, and like there are punchlines, you know, like the brownie sweats, um, <laughs> things that just make you laugh. Um, but, but the punchline is not really the point. Like, it's not like a, yeah, it's mm -hmm. not like a Sunday comic funny thing. Like it is funny, but it's more than that. Um, and, and some of them are sort of just capturing a moment or a memory. Um, Probably my favorite one was actually Hello Memory, My Old Friend on page 21. Um, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> where it shows you sitting, uh, you're sitting with your buddy playing video games and you say, I think this song would sound better if the Black Eyed Peas did it. And he's, uh, he says, this is the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> and then it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, but you know what I mean? And then the last frame is uh, 20 years later at 2.05 a.m. And you're just pinching your nose and saying, why would I say that? Because <laughs> I, I poured one out for social anxiety last week, and I can very much relate to moments like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, this memory comes back to me often, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> This one's nice because this has a punchline, but hmm. the the act of holding on to something so pointless yeah. for so long and fixating on it so that it's in your subconscious mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, I think that that's very common. And so yeah. aside from the punchline, I think everyone can relate to this in some way. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever hold on to something that you're not actually sure is real? Like it's true. Like there are some things I hold on to that I don't feel comfortable sharing. That I'm like, I don't actually think that happened. Like yeah. they're like like I don't know. Like and it's part of it's like the fear that it could have happened. That's like what like just sticks in me. It feels like oatmeal. Like it just kind of sticks to yeah. my stomach. And I'm like, memory is funny because hmm. uh, it's not exactly what you're saying, but I have memories of when I was very young, but I don't actually have those memories. I just remember my parents telling me about it. Right. And I've heard the story enough times that I now remember quote unquote, mm -hmm. what happened. And it feels like any other memory, but I know that at age 18 months, 
I don't actually have that memory. <laughs> My brain didn't work that way yeah. yet. Yeah. So before we continue to talk about regular life and, and add on Komodo Queen and me, um, which I love, and talk mm-hmm. about, um, I, I get the, get it wrong all the time, but I just think the girls, um, <laughs> the name of the... Um, the and girls in the Stardust Consortium. Yep, and Belgian beer. More of your comics and more of your art. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a podcast that's about stories and storytellers that shape you. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, you are the one that's shaping these stories. Um, but there are things that in your life shape you that yes. cause you to yes to write. And at some point, and it seems like even clearly at some point. Um, I think in one of these in regular life pieces, like there was a point when you weren't doing comics, when you maybe weren't regularly like pouring your life into the creation of, of, of stories and art. Um, what, what is it that brought that out of you? Like, yeah. Is that, is that clear? Is that, is that too? Yeah. So it's, it's why, why create? Why, yeah. Why are you stories? <laughs> that's a simple question. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's too blunt for me. <laughs> Um, no, it's, uh, I have liked comics. I never collected a lot or anything. Um, but when I was growing up back in the days when the comic books were on a spinner rack at the grocery store, um, I picked up a couple Spider-Man comics and I took them home and read them a bunch of times and it made no sense because you have to read a hundred issues of a comic to understand what the story is. Um, so I had no idea what was going on, but I know that the drawings were cool. And so I would mm. trace Spider-Man in different poses and draw him mm. over and over. Um, and then as I grew older and got into college, I found uh, graphic novels that were not about superheroes. And they had stories that were interesting and challenging and uh, very fulfilling. Mm. And as I explored more of those, um, I just got inspired. I've drawn since I was a child. I've always drawn. So even when I wasn't actively creating something, I had every piece of paper in my house is covered in doodles. And uh, so when I found that I really enjoyed the comics, I I actually first was doing painting. Um, so one of the big uh, creatives that have influenced me the most is a, a guy who goes by Scott C. It's Scott Campbell, and he is a an artist and a, a video game art director. And uh, he designed all the characters for Psychonauts, if mm. people know that game. Um, and he has a very distinct art style that looks like children. A child drew it, but it's good. Mm-hmm. So it's it's clearly not a child that's drawing it, but he captures the the unbiased eye of a child mm. the, the, the just the raw creativity and it's very simple and when i saw that i thought i can try that mm. and so a lot of my early paintings were an attempt at aping his style is is he the one that does draw some animals is that or is that somebody else draws like the moles and the or no is that you no. That's me. That's you. Yeah. Yeah. Those animal paintings are me. <laughs> so I'm thinking through like some of the pieces yeah. that I've seen. You're like, which ones has he done that? It just, so he, he does a lot of pop culture stuff. Okay. So he, 
so like um, one that I, an early one that I purchased of his is uh, he has David Bowie in all of his artistic iterations, all his different oh. characters, <laughs> and they're all building a birdhouse. They're all building a birdhouse? Building a birdhouse, like a giant birdhouse. So they have the hammer and nails and some are painting it and they're standing on it because it's really big. And uh, so just kind of fun. Yeah. Um, very simple drawings. Okay. And um, yeah, and he, he does uh, he does most movies that come out. He'll do a small, like a little three by three inch painting. He calls them great showdowns. And so it's um, either a main character and a person that they square off against or a concept that they face in the movie. Um, but everyone's very happy because it's such a cute little picture. <laughs> um, Imagining like Thanos, like yeah, he had he did a big one for the Avengers. It's, uh, yeah, but it's it's fun stuff, and he's a really positive guy. I I got to meet him a couple times in person, mm -hmm. which was very inspiring because he was just no ego, very down to earth, very. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was just thrilled that I was interested in his paintings. You know, he had, was not jaded at all. Mm. He was not um, expecting attention. And so that was really cool. So, so yeah, so when I started, I was doing paintings. Okay. And then comics came a little later. Uh, there's a, a cartoonist named Brian Lee O'Malley, a uh, Canadian uh, cartoonist, and he made Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, well, he made it, it started out as just Scott Pilgrim. And there were six books in the series and uh, oh. between books five and six, the movie came out and um, I started reading those when the third book came out okay. and um, those were a huge eye opener to me um, because they were very exciting stories, but it was, and there was a lot of fantastical stuff going on kind of. Mm -hmm extra than realistic you know it was very video game inspired yeah um but the story was very grounded mm. the story was very human and it was about um dealing with our past dealing with past relationships mm -hmm. baggage that we hang on to yeah. and uh and his art style was just really catching to me so even to this day um so many years later when i see people at art festivals uh, they'll ask if he's an influence on me, really, because uh, he was really a big influence. And that those books are the reason that I started to make comics. Mm. Wow! Thanks for sharing that. That's it, it's making me want to go back and read and see and look through more of the pieces of people that impacted, influenced you. Um, yeah, because yeah, so Scott C is everywhere on online. Mm -hmm. So and his stuff is very easy to find. Um, for Brian Lee O'Malley, I would actually say that the Scott Pilgrim stuff doesn't hold up as well. Okay. Um, for me, I think the art is really good, but the story is uh, I don't really love as much when I read it in recent years. Mm -hmm. um, but his his kind of follow up to that, uh, which is completely unrelated, is called Seconds. It's a standalone graphic novel. Um, and that is really, for me, that came out around the time that I turned 30. And it's about a character entering their 30s. And about, like, basically, what does it mean to become an adult and to have responsibilities and to try and avoid that and have have to inevitably face up to, to the consequences for your decisions. Um, 
that's a really good book and a really good story. I think it's very mature. Okay. Thank you. I don't want to be the only one asking questions and, you know, so I want to give space for Hunter. Um, as, as, as many of us might know by now, I, I definitely uh, talk a lot and <laughs> push my voice to be heard. So I want to make sure we give some space for Hunter. That's right. I have all of the editing well. controls. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have a question. Uh, did you let this guy who talks about um, <laughs> the Last Supper? Um, yeah. Did you let him crash at your place? Because <laughs> he asked. I did not. I did not <laughs> let him crash at my place. I was out of town, staying at my brother-in-law's house. But even if I was in my hometown, I would not have let him crash at my place. Yeah. He was. Uh, I don't really want to make light because I think that there were, he had issues, right? but he was rather an intimidating, strong personality. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. So no, no, I did not let him crash in my place. Yeah. <laughs> Excommunicated <laughs> because they wouldn't let him preach in a Bill's Jersey. Yes. Probably more than that. But yeah, I think there was more to it than mm -hmm. that, but Probably. uh but I don't know. That was his yeah. story. He was wearing a Bills jersey when he talked to mm -hmm. me, so I know he at least owned one. <laughs> Is it J.P. Lossman? J.P. Lossman? Wasn't he number seven? Oh, I don't know the actual numbers. Okay. I, and I wouldn't know a Bills player if you told me. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's not somebody that you'd know anyways. Okay. <laughs> it's not. It's a few years past. Mm. Um, so we've already talked about regular life. Uh, quite a bit, but one of the continual narratives that comes up through this is Halloween. Yes. Yes. Um, I have a, a sequence of Halloween stories. Um, yeah. So if starting on, we can skip page 16 because that was a made up little for fun Halloween story, mm -hmm. uh, but from 17 uh, for the next four or five pages. Um, a series of comic strips about Halloween in my childhood. Um, so uh, this was a important thing for me. The, these, the sequence of comics is, I think storytelling wise, this is what I am most proud of um, out of any comics work that I've done. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, because it is the most personal and I, since it was so personal to me, I really pushed my artwork and there's more in these panels than I've done in a lot of my other pieces. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in a, a, a Southern Baptist home. And as in many kids who grew up in the you know late eighties, there was a satanic panic sweeping the nation, and especially for um, Protestant Christian mm -hmm. families, Halloween was a very, uh, I, I won't even say a complex topic. It was a simple topic. Halloween was bad, mm -hmm. and you, we don't do it. Mm -hmm. and, and yet for when I was five, we did do it. And then when I was six, we didn't. 
Mm. And it was confusing to me as a child. And we had a really Mm -hmm. on again, off again relationship. And so these comics explore, um, and they're very, they're very honest and they, they include ideas that are, that are complicated for me because in some ways these are things that I disagree with my parents, the way that some of the decisions they made. But at the same time, I have a whole comic about this really amazing costume they made for me when I was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also celebrating some of their decisions and and really going through this and reflecting on my own brief time as a father yes. and imagining <laughs> what comics are my kids going to make mm-hmm. in 35 <laughs> years mm-hmm. uh, about all the horrible and hopefully some good decisions that I made. Um, raising them. Um, so there's the the relationship with the parents. Mm-hmm. There's the idea of parenting. There's also um, conflicted ideas in here about church, about the way, at least the churches that I was in and mm-hmm. churches of that time. I know it still happens a lot today. Uh, the way that certain topics are treated and seeming... Uh, almost hypocrisy where Halloween is bad, but we can have a harvest party where you dress up and you get candy. And I had no idea what the difference was between that and trick or treating. Yep. <laughs> um, but somehow it was, it was more holy. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, when I made these comics, um, my, my wife took me aside when I made the first couple and told me that I can't make these because uh, how are my parents going to feel when they read it? And I would hope that that they would see it the way I see it, where I'm not condemning them. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they gave me a bad childhood. I'm just saying that it was confusing. Mm-hmm. And I think for them as parents, it was confusing because we, in one church we were in, Halloween was okay, and the other church it wasn't. And mm. Yeah. I felt like it. Thanks for sharing that. Sorry. No, go for it. Go for it. Um, I didn't really feel like I didn't feel condemnation at all uh, when I was reading them. Um, Good, because that's certainly not the intent. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I was Halloween Lord was one of my favorite ones. Um, Yeah, is the one of the first ones. Um, In the eighties, they were knockoff Transformers. Um, called the Rock Lords, <laughs> and uh, your parents made you a, a paper mache boulder, um, and it shows this in the in the frames. And then in the last one, it shows the the transformation that you can do. Um, yes, which is just really like you communicate it so well, um, mm-hmm. really simply in the drawing, um, and it's really cute. <laughs> I really liked it. Um, and yeah, and like the, the harvest party one too, like I, I went to a church that was conservative, but it, it wasn't like, I mean, it was, maybe it was a different era. Um, but they didn't, they did Halloween, but like sometimes when you're in a youth group, because you do different things for fun, then 
maybe what your peers are doing. Um, you know, like we, we played lots of like really weird and silly games, um, that, you know, our youth group leaders usually trying to play pranks on us, um, which is very fun, but like, I feel like so much of the conversation about youth groups and Christian communities and things is, is political. Um, but like, I, I grew up in a youth group and I had lots of fun moments. That's like my childhood. Um, and, and this is celebrating that and showing it. And like, I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever encountered like any other media that has, has tried to do that and show mm. that, you know, kids in youth group are kids too. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if that yeah. comes across. I don't know if I'm clear enough, but. Um, I, I appreciate that. That's yeah. great. I, I was, I was reaching with this because yeah, I didn't, I was a kid and these are the things I did and I had a lot of fun and some of it was confusing. <laughs> and as an adult, I, I understand some of what happened and some of it I don't. And it doesn't mean it's the best. It doesn't mean it's the worst. Right. There was a lot of good. You know, the, growing up that way yeah. is part of why I am who I am today. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change my experiences. I really like that you leave the conversation open. And I feel like that's something you do throughout so much of what you do. Um, so much of your, you don't say, this is how you should think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, cause, cause so often, and I found myself doing this all the time. I feel like, you know, I need to know why like have an answer why and sometimes there isn't an answer and that's really clear with parenting that sometimes the answer is today we'll do this and tomorrow we'll do something different and i'm sorry for confusing you but i also don't know what and like you, yeah. you say it like while it was a little confusing why we did that we really had a lot of fun and there doesn't need to be an answer of like yeah this is there's not there's not an answer in life. And, and I, I forget, I'm, I hesitant to say this because I don't remember who to attribute the quote to, but there's this idea that, especially in comics, if you have a message and you're trying to deliver a message, leave that for the preacher hmm. in the comic, you just want to offer up some ideas, hmm. but you don't, there's not some answer that you need to push. I'm not, I don't feel myself that I have an answer, especially on this Halloween topic. Mm -hmm. There isn't a, a perfect way to figure it out. Uh, so I didn't want to manufacture something. I didn't want to put it in there. Yeah. I'm also noting, as you were saying that you put more work into these panels. Yeah. I like been paying attention to them even more specifically. Yeah. And a couple things stand out to me. Oh, three things stand out to me. The first is the shading. Yes. Um, I really like the way you shade things and like the way that even with just black and white, you make it so clear, like how dark something is. So when your family decided to turn the lights off on Halloween, like you shaded your house so that it looked dark. And then you turn shaded your family 
So it was still dark, but the the TV was lighting things up. Like that's, I don't know if I've paid attention to that before, but I really, I noticed that. And like it, it impacted me before I noticed that it impacted me. Yeah. Is that Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, especially. I also love. There's, I mean, this particular paint, not Halloween. I just think it's just how there's a lot of things going. Is this this is this portraying a particular movie? Because yeah, the Silent Earth. Okay, is that the one where there's the song that blows all the aliens' heads? Or is that a different? That's a different. No, song? Silent Earth. Okay, I've seen this. Silent one, Earth. Yeah, it's it's from the like late fifties, early sixties. Okay. If you ever watched uh, the MST3K movie, it's the movie they watch. Okay. <laughs> and is it scary? Is it scary? Uh, I guess nowadays probably no. not. By nowadays standards, it's it's not. I don't think it's intended to be scary. Okay. There's one or two scenes. So in this comic, I'm I'm portraying one of the scenes in the movie where there's this. Um, I forget the name of it. Mutoid or some some alien monster that's uh, threatening our hero. Uh, that's about as tense as the movie gets. It's okay. a guy in a rubber suit shambling towards a guy who's in a, a 1950s jumpsuit. So okay. Okay. that's good. To <laughs> you can handle it. Okay. As a person who doesn't let that, I can. Uh, and then you're saying that the other piece within this particular panel, and like I said, there are a couple of things that stood out to me, but like I was confusing, but we had fun together. You're doing it while wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, shirt which to me is like that whole like piece of like and this was okay like, yeah like teenage mutant ninja turtles like is okay but dressing up like teenage mutant ninja turtles is not yeah. okay yeah. You know, and it, I, I just to me i was and, thinking about that it's like a and and that's something you know especially having kids you know all three of us have young kids it's not just Halloween. Oh, this yeah. is everything that is acceptable or that's not acceptable in the consistency or the impossibility to be consistent across all things. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you don't, you don't even want to think about it too hard because it's none of it's going to make sense if you analyze your childhood. Um, but uh, yeah, but I appreciate you saying about the shading. That's, that's one of the, one of the strong points of comics is that it's, it's not a illustrated book. It is words and it is pictures and both tell the story independently. Mm. And so you can, you mm. get the complete feeling of what we're doing. Oh, interesting. Um, and so you said that you felt it before you noticed it. Yes. And that's kind of, for me, that's high praise because that's the best you can do with a comic is achieve the feeling without them noticing that you're doing it. Mm. Um, so that's, hmm. yeah, thank you for that. Well, I mean, thank you to you. That's, so that's, <laughs> Do that's you start with um, the picture or the words? Or is the it the picture? Okay. I always, I always do the picture. Um, the, for regular life, I would plot out. So plotting is basically just, I would draw four little thumbnails because most of these are four panel comics. And so I just draw really tiny squares on a piece of paper. I would know the memory or the event that I wanted to portray. And so I would think of some good images with it mm. um, because, and this goes back to me drawing all the time and starting out my kind of more serious art hobby 
side career or whatever um, with painting and illustration, mm-hmm. uh, the image for, for many years for me, the image was the story. Mm-hmm. And so usually the words, I might have a rough idea or if there's a punchline, maybe I know what the punchline is, but it's the images come first and I'm, I'm workshopping the words up until the end. Mm-hmm. How many uh, like drafts do you usually do? Uh, I do one rough draft usually. So as I'm drawing the, the images, I will pencil in words into the the balloons so Mm -hmm. I can size the dialogue balloons appropriately. Um, and then I'll read it. And then when I go to ink it, I will decide whether I change the words or not. Mm. Um, I am not a writer. <laughs> I will say, despite having written comics, mm. uh, that's not my strong point. I, I like to tell the story visually. Um, so part of the exercise, so Regular Life, this book that we're looking at, is a collection of a weekly comic strip that I did mm-hmm. through half of last year. And part of that was to do to exercise my writing capabilities, mm. knowing that I wanted to do more full length comic books where I was the writer. I wanted to learn how to pace out a story, how to write dialogue. Right. Um, so, but I don't do a lot of drafts. I think on the Halloween ones, there were more because it wasn't just a joke. Right. And it wasn't just a memory of an event. It was explaining It was explaining my the act of remembering these events. Mm. It was explaining the way I feel mm. and think now, rather than just a retelling of the event. Yeah. So that that was harder to capture the the words correctly for those. Mm. There's two other themes, uh, not themes. Uh, there are two other like kind of groupings of things that I noticed, and they both lead to other conversations of other art you do, other stories you tell. Um, are you okay if I move us kind of towards that direction? Is that? Yeah, I was thinking we could um, get into Komodo Queen. Um, I, Great. Is there anything you want to highlight about regular life, Andrew, or or the process or? No, I, I think, I think we've, Captured it. We've the the strips that you guys picked out were some of the highlights personally. So um, that was, yeah, that was great. And and looking at this again and thinking about this again because now I haven't I haven't done one of these for six months. Um, I kind of want to go back to these because it was really fun. It's just a a time thing. It's really mm-hmm. hard to find the time to write and draw. Right new comic strip every week and get it out timely yeah. uh, and try to be working on my other art projects mm. and uh, having a yeah. job and raising two kids. And, uh, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. We understand a little bit of that. On this <laughs> yes, podcast. you do. That's, 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 that's uh, yeah. I, it's the beauty of the work really comes through. Um, uh, before we move on from here, can you share with us a little bit more about the way you printed this? Cause I know that's the way that regular life is printed. I'm looking at my fingers. They've got some black ink on them under yours and my two. Um, it's printed with one color. 
Yes. Um, and I know that it's a very specific printing process that you yes. go through that you've told me the name of before. It's a risograph. 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 Rizo. Risograph. Okay, yeah. you've told me this so many times, and I forget <laughs> every single time. Can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah. process? Because it's like it's an act of like creation itself. It's, yeah, it's it's fun because it's very it's like a very involved printing process. So a risograph is not just a digital printer where you load in your file, you hit print. It it kind of is, uh, except that instead of having uh, inkjet cartridges, it has a single color ink drum and a screen that is made out of rice paper that the machine will punch holes in to make a screen like a screen printed t-shirt. Um, but it's doing this on the ink cylinder in the printer and then you feed your paper through. And so it is screen printing one color at a time onto your paper. Yeah. And it is an oil based ink, which is why it comes off on your fingers a little bit, kind of like old newsprint um, because it doesn't actually dry 100%. It can dry about 95%. Um, has to go on uncoated paper. Um, regular life is an easy print because it's just a single color. Uh, I've done other works where it is multicolor. So then you are printing, for example, if my book was uh, blue and yellow and black, I would print the yellow first then I would load in a new image that's the blue and print the blue on top of the yellow, hoping that the pages didn't move by a quarter inch one way or the other, but spoiler alert, they always do. And then you print the black on top of that. And so at the end of the day, you're lucky if 20% of them have all the colors lined up because the machine's not really made for that. The machine's really made as like a quick and dirty copier. It's older. It's like yeah. a. It's like a. It's it's designed for use in like printing quizzes in schools or printing flyers at churches, mm. or like bulletins at churches. You know, so mm -hmm. just it can print really fast. So if you needed to print six hundred copies, it can do it in just a couple minutes. It prints really quickly, um, but it's not super precise. So it's but there is a large group of people. Um, worldwide who are artists who love to use it because you can tell by the way it's printed um, in my file everything is flat black mm. but there is so much character and tooth and mm. and texture to the blacks that are printed and that is the character of the risograph um, you get this wonderful grainy effect um, and I think it looks beautiful and so that's why I print with it also because it's fun to, to print and bind my own book. Eric helped bind with this one. So uh, that was very nice. It's a fun process. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And it, so like each one is a little different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, so they're, they're printed. So each one is going to be a little different. The, the, the way that the panels line up on the different pages are going to be different. Um, the grain will be the same because that's just how it punched the holes in the screen. Um, then each book is bound by hand by uh, Eric and myself. Uh, so the placement of the staples, the, the angle of the fold, all of that uh, has some variance. It's Blood, very, sweat, and tears. 
Yes, yes. Uh, I think there was no blood on this oh, particular book. Okay, yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, sometimes there is. <laughs> on this particular book. <laughs> I noticed now that one of the other books is red. So. Yes. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's a really interesting thing. I also realized yeah. you said thank you for sharing that like five times, <laughs> but I am very grateful. Um, yeah. So and to- if, uh, if people are interested, there's a local Resograph club. So if people who live in Rochester are interested, or even uh, if you live in other cities, um, sometimes libraries or um, there will be um, artist collectives or things that offer printing classes uh, with risographs because it's a, as far as industrial machines go, it's a relatively inexpensive, especially on the secondhand market. So it's people have these, these are around and people who have them love to share them. So if it sounds interesting to you, just Google risograph and your city and see if uh, you have an opportunity to check one out in person. They're really fun. Hmm. It's fascinating. It is. So there's two other groups of places that you are or interactions that you have that relate to some of the other things that you, some of the other work that you've done and some of the other ways that you promote your work. Um, And the two that I notice um, are one you intense you and intense yes. at different art festivals yes um, and I'd love to talk about that uh, and like especially as you know with with your art and the way that you've promoted that and the way that you kind of continue to share stories um, especially with the little um, the, the the quick drawings you'll do of people so that's yes one. the mini portraits yeah and then the second one is music yes I know music is a big piece of, of yes. you. Yes. Um, you just kind of shared that a little bit earlier in what you were you know, raising glass. Right. And one of your other comic books, um, your most recent one, right? Yeah, yeah. I just I just printed these in March of this year. So this is my new book. And these ones you had done? These ones I had printed digitally okay. through an online company that does. So they, they printed it and, and bound it there. And so you did the color for all this too. I did, yeah. So I wrote it, drew it, colored it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and it's yeah. So this is Komodo Queen and me that we're talking about. Okay, I love this comic. So so <laughs> I, I had the opportunity to like, like I said, being around you as a, and seeing. I've seen a lot of the different images for many of the different things. Yeah, you got on. you got to see the the uncolored original mm-hmm. ink drawings for some of the yeah, products. and like even with regular life, I helped you like find it. So I got really familiar with certain pages. Yes, this is the first time I ever got to sit down and like read through it and like kind of pay attention to the story you're telling mm-hmm. um, and the the internal dialogue you have with yourself. Um, and like feeling like I'm part of that conversation or like really like there with you. Um, can you share a little bit about what inspired you to tell this particular story? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, mild spoilers for Komodo queen, just a spoiler of what the last panel is. Uh, cause the last panel of the comic is me starting to draw the comic that becomes <laughs> Komodo queen and me. Uh, uh, I, so my favorite active band right now and for for many years is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. They're a really crazy band from Australia. 
Uh, I think they've been around for 14 years and they have like 20 plus albums. That's last crazy. year, last year they put out five albums. What? Uh, and all the albums are really good. How? And they're all studio albums, not even like a live album filler or anything like Did that. Did they tour at all? Yeah, they were on tour all year. Because <laughs> uh, I actually saw them on tour last year. They came to Rochester, which was crazy to me because they do Red Rocks. They do like stadiums. <laughs> mm. And they came to Water Street Music Hall in Rochester, which if you're local to here, you know that that's where like high school bands play. Uh, it's a really tiny club. Uh, it fits about a thousand people tops. Uh, and they played there inexplicably. And so I got to go see them and it was an incredible experience. But even just from the time I got there and was waiting in line, cause I got there well ahead of the doors because they had a, uh, a screen printed poster that was limited to, I think a hundred copies that was specific to this show in Rochester. And I really wanted to get that poster. Mm -hmm. And so I figured I better get there early if there's only a hundred copies. So I got there 45 minutes or an hour before doors opened and the line was already several city blocks long to get in the door. Crazy. And at that moment I was already thinking this would make a really good comic <laughs> because there's so much, this, I mean, it's called Komodo Queen and Me, but it could almost be subtitled like a regular life tale or something mm. because it's really the same kind of idea where it's just noticing what happens. I was in that line for 45 minutes and I heard a bunch of different conversations. I saw different things happen. There's a little, a fun little sequence with no words in the book where a kind of illicit uh, drug deal or something goes down. Um <laughs> There's just so many things to notice and so many interesting characters that that I was just enthralled by the whole process of going to this show. Uh, and the band was amazing. King Gizzard is like incredible live. It's it was really such an amazing experience. Uh, I loved them already, but it was like a re almost a reintroduction hearing them play live and seeing the kind of energy that they brought to their live show. And it was just very inspiring. Mm -hmm. And music, as you see, it, it's in some of my other, some of the regular life comics. And uh, my first comic, The Girls and mm -hmm. the Stardust Consortium, I did not write, but it is also the story of a band. Uh, music is a, a big deal for me uh, as someone who cannot play music and cannot sing on key, uh, but I can appreciate music. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so so seeing them in concert was the the big the big influence for this. But everything around the concert was really just a rich experience. Yeah, well, and most of this comic is not the concert. Most yeah, of it yeah. is the, before the, the concert. The comic is in three parts. <laughs> so the first part is just waiting in line outside the venue, and then the middle part is just waiting in line for merch and then buying some beer, and then the third part. And so at that point you have like five pages of comic where the band actually plays. Um, but each part is visually pretty distinct from oh, the other yeah. parts. Oh, and, yes. uh, and, and each has its own feeling and uh, yeah. But I think that that's true of any, any um, event that you go to. Mm -hmm. It's not just the event, whether you're going to see a concert or a musical or, 
a sports game, there is so much going on that is not just the event. Hmm. And so I wanted to, to capture all that. Sorry, that quote was, that what you said was reminding me of one of my oh, wow. book I've brought up before, right? Out of the yes. Silent Planet. Um, and I'm not going to find the quote, but it's it talks about the the beauty of an event, an interaction, is that it's never over. That even the retelling of it is part of the story of the event. Um, and in one of the groups in, in Out of the Silent Planet talks about that. And like, in many ways, like, you you made that clear in the way you finished the comic that you were just talking about. And like this conversation is a continual of the story. Yeah. And and that's not that's not special to me making a story. That's the tradition of writing stories mm-hmm. by humans from time immemorial. Um telling and retelling of stories. Um yeah. Maybe it'll be different this time. <laughs> well you can use a pen and change the, the story a little bit and it can be different this time that's the beauty of a printed media that's true. I'm sure I want to ask and like talk about all sorts of things but I keep pushing myself ahead of you so I want to give you space if there are things you want to bring up or ask about. Um, I love the color the use of color um, in the comic how do you decide like whether to do something in black and white or whether to use color? Uh, yeah. So I, for my comics, I have always done black and white. And then for this one, I wanted to just try it and see if I could make kind of a bigger splashier book. Mm. It was full color. Um, so I've never colored I do this all digitally, mm-hmm. so I've never colored digitally before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I really like how the book looks. I'm very happy with it. I'm very happy with the, the the job that I did and the way the colors pop on the pages, and especially when you get to the band playing. Oh, it's very we gotta spend time talking psychedelic. Light show and and visualization of music coming out of the instruments. It's amazing. Um, that was very satisfying to color. That said, I will still make black and white books. Um, there, I I love the the cleanliness of a pure black and white book. Um, mm. And that goes back to regular life, where Eric was talking about some of the shading. It's all, the, there's only black and white. There is no gray in the book, but you get gray tones based mm-hmm. on the way that you do the, the different lines in the book. Um, and I love how that looks. That's very satisfying um, for me to look at and very satisfying to, to execute, mm-hmm. to make those lines and to create values in a piece just using black. Um, so I like that. If my wife had her way, though, everything I did would be color because she <laughs> says it looks much better. <laughs> and to some extent, she's not wrong. It looks really cool in color. Yeah, because like, I mean, you said this is your first one in color, but I mean, you use it so well. I mean, not just to create yeah. something that looks beautiful, but also 
like when they start playing blue tongue skink, you know, the whole crowd is blue and, but your hair is red. So you use the color to highlight you in the crowd and you do that yeah. in other places with like other people in the crowd who are, who are talking. Um, yeah. So that like, it's, it's, it is, it is visually beautiful, but mm -hmm. it's also like clear. It's uh, one of my favorite directors would uh, Guillermo del Toro would call it eye protein. Uh, not just eye candy. Um, my favorite panel is probably probably this one. Oh, we can't go there yet. Yeah, we gotta sorry. get. We gotta build up to that, Hunter. <laughs> that is. We we gotta we gotta start the beginning. We gotta get there. Uh, that's that's probably my favorite panel. It's, I think it's my favorite too. So. <laughs> so do we explain what it is now, or people will just? have to uh, guess that we're looking at something cool. Okay, we can explain it. Can you explain? Yeah, so this is a shot of the band playing in the venue. Uh, they're up on the stage, and so it's the lead guitarist and the, the actually, they have two lead guitarists, so it's the other lead guitarist. Uh, and they're kind of jamming out, and there is a blue and pink kind of 60s psychedelic inspired lava lamp globules floating mm -hmm. out onto the crowd, coloring the crowd in shades of pink and blue. Um, just as a visual representation of the music that is coming out of them. Um, and it's a, it's a large panel. It takes up uh, two thirds of the page uh, and just kind of a, an open kind of striking composition. Mm -hmm. um, this one was very satisfying to color. This one took me a couple iterations to get the colors mm -hmm. correct. It's stunning. It's stunning. <laughs> Thank you. It, it really is. It's. And I, I, so I, I haven't read the different comic pieces that you were talking about with Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but seeing the movie like this certain aspect, I don't, is this the type of page that people see in like, think about somebody uh, else or is that, am I just completely off? No. So um, a, a good friend of mine who also enjoyed Scott Pilgrim, when he saw this panel, he, he said that was very Scott Pilgrim um, because especially in the movie, there is a, a scene with a battle of the bands. Oh, you yes. have uh, fantastical creatures created out of sound that mm -hmm. are battling over the crowd of people. Um, so it's definitely in my mind. Okay. Uh, and, and even just, in Scott program there it's a, a large part of the story is about a band and music and there are musical numbers in parts of the book. And mm -hmm. um, the thing people mostly say though, is the way I draw my eyes. I've gotten away from it over the years as I've gotten a little more uh, wanting to have my own voice. Okay. Yeah. Um, but for, uh, if you look at the girls and the start of consortium, my first comic book, uh, the way I draw everyone's eyes in there is exactly the same way that they're drawn in Scott Pilgrim. Hmm. Okay. This, this is an entire world. Thank you for like opening the door to having conversations. Cause like this <laughs> yeah, is a world yeah. I don't know about. I've been to stores that sell comic books and I've read through them. And my dad loves Prince Valiant. I don't know if you've read Prince Valiant. I haven't read a lot of it, but uh, the artwork on that is, is very, very well done. It's incredible. Very traditional, it's, and and it's, um, it's a 
got to be one of the longest running strips yes. of all time. My dad calls him the oldest superhero or the oldest continually running superhero. <laughs> but yeah. like, I, the, there's continual running strips from 1945. Um, I think 1945 or 1949 and like multiple artists. Yeah. And like they, they're now being released in like two year volumes, like hardcover. Yeah. And my dad has the first 28 or 29 that as one, many that have come out so far. It's like through the eighties. Yeah. That's great. And it's just the, the, in those ones, it's all about the background. Like yes. the entire story. Yes. There are no shortcuts to the art. Yes. Prince Valiant. Yeah. It, whether you, whether you enjoy the story or not, you have to be blown away by the artwork. Yes, and and the piece you talked about, the, the, this page I almost love, like has such beautiful visuals in the background. The other page that I just love, especially as a Rochester person, like I just love the opening. I guess it's the yeah. second full page. Um, the Genesee River, a few blocks from the venue, it just it it gives a with the sunset and. Um, yeah, the, the view from the bridge over the Genesee River. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see a little bit more Rochester architecture in your drawings in the comics. Uh, yes. But the colors you use and the way that you tell the story in the background. And in this, this comic in particular, the people. Like, I feel like you did not skimp on drawing people when no. you could have i feel like it probably would have been yeah. really easy so to like so you'll notice the the compromise i've made with myself is that and this is something hunter pointed out is using color to to guide your eye to to specific people in the crowd um most of my crowd shots the people are just colored in a flat uh dark blue mm -hmm. like a like a low saturation blue um part of this is so that when you look at it, you can read the image. There are people in the background, which if you want to look at them, they are fully drawn. They're very detailed. Um, I did not I did not pull anything in my drawing, uh, but in the coloring, I wanted to A, simplify the drawing a little bit to make it easier to read what's going on and to know where you should be looking. And also, uh, it was just too hard to color all the people all the time. I can't imagine. <laughs> it, it, had to take forever. it took me, it took me just as long to color it as it took me to, to write and draw the pages. So this one random person, like character who's not like, she has like 12, 10 tattoos and all of them are colored differently. Yeah. 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 I, one of the things I wanted to do with this book, and, and this was really a reaction to the girls in the Stardust Consortium. Um, which is a book where in each panel there is between one and there are a couple shots of the band where there are four people in the panel, but mostly there is one person or two people in a panel and no background mm. or an abstract mm. background. And I really wanted to push myself with this comic to, to see what I could do. And so I wanted to put backgrounds in every panel. I wanted to put crowds of people, um, you don't often see crowds of people in comics just because it takes forever to draw. Um, but it was important to the story. You can't go to a concert and, mm -hmm. and cheat on every crowd scene. Mm -hmm. uh, As a reader, I have to know, how did your poster turn out at the end of the night? Uh, Having not it's bought good. a poster to It's see. good. I, 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 it, by the end of the night, the way I was holding it, it was flat instead of a tube in between my fingers, but it did not crease. 
Wow. So it was, That's I was, great. I tried to be very ginger with how I was holding it <laughs> during the show. Uh, yeah. So this is a plot point in the, uh, in the comic where this poster that I really wanted to buy, I'm able to buy one before they sell out. But then I noticed other people brought poster tubes to keep their posters protected. Whereas I'm standing in a crowded music venue with people shouting and, and dancing and spilling beers. And I'm just holding my poster in my hand. <laughs> Where's the flute from? Is that a reference to anything or? That, that happened during the show. So they, they pulled out a flute for a few songs. Um, so there's this sequence where the lead guitarist puts his guitar down and picks up a flute and, um, the scene where he's playing with like the kind of 80 style color squares. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my other, that's probably my favorite single page mm -hmm. of the comic. I'm very proud of how the colors and the line work turned out on that, but that's the sequence yeah. of him playing the flute and then trading back his flute for the guitar. I was thinking um, of uh, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. Yes. With the flute. That's awesome. Yeah. Don't look at how he's holding the flute, Eric. I see you trying Sorry. to figure it out. He's not holding the flute correctly. Okay. So <laughs> he should have one hand on the other side of the flute so that it doesn't fall. But I'm still proud of the page. I, I, I just, sorry, I was one of my best friends played the flute, and I just you know, I was slipped play the flute incorrectly. So I was just trying to. Um, how do you decide where you're going to have a page turn? Because one of my favorite moments in this this comic book is when you have the. Uh, the seemingly illicit uh, sale going on. Um, and, and it starts like at the end of a conversation with a guy who's way too jacked for his own good. Um, to, you know, um, and I don't understand his whole facial hair, hair situation. <laughs> I just don't understand him. Um, and then there's this guy that's like, you know, show, for, first you see him, his head's just like poking through the corner of the pane, just like looking each way. And then he's standing next to the street looking both ways. And I looked at this and I was like, he's about to pee. <laughs> I was like, he is hundred percent about to like, just start peeing in the street. <laughs> and then I go to the next page and a car crops up and it drives up and he throws a little bag in there and then walks away. And you're like, hmm. uh, and I feel like that's a purposeful decision. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the page turn if you if you do it on purpose, it can have a big impact because you can build expectation and then either deliver or subvert uh, on the following page. Mm -hmm. um, and you can hide what you're working towards mm -hmm. so that when you reveal it, there is more impact. And um, yeah, that was definitely very intentional there. I'm trying to think if there's some other good examples. Um, the reveal from uh scanning the tickets to get into the venue and then you flip the page and it's a double page spread of mm. me small in the corner looking out at the whole entire venue and all the people um that was uh intended to really give a sense of how i was viewing this venue yes mm -hmm. it's a small intimate space but when i walked in it was this grand exciting place full of potential of what was going to happen and people everywhere. 
I just noticed you have the same character, the nun. Yes. Is in the second floor of that double spread. Yes. And like he shows up earlier on and you yeah. kind of French. Most that- of the characters in there you will see throughout. I tried to be consistent. That had to be so much work. Uh, in some ways it was a lot of work. In other ways it was less work because I didn't have to design new characters every time. I could just look on the previous page and steal characters that I liked. Mm-hmm. Is that is that easier? Uh, it's So the hard for me creating, and I'm sure this tracks across other forms of creation too, the design is a lot of the hard work. Mm. What does the person look like? What's their hair? What's their mm-hmm. shirt? What's their pants? What's their shoes? Are they holding something? That is all. And then coloring on top, you have to figure out all these problems, all these details. Mm-hmm. And so if I can take away all the decision-making process and just draw, okay. I don't have to engage my mind. Huh. And so I can, I don't have to leave the zone basically. So when you're drawing or for you, if you're playing music or a hunter, I imagine when you're writing, you can get into a state where it's just flowing mm-hmm. and if you have to make a hard decision or reconsider something, it interrupts that state. Yeah. Oh, it happens. Sometimes <laughs> you get in the flow and it's like, you can't do something wrong. It's just like, yeah. Like even a mistake, like is perfect. Like it's, yeah. ex- it's exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah. So I, I tried, especially with these crowd scenes where I was going to make myself nuts. You know, this double page spread has over 60 unique characters. Yeah. Um, and if I had to come up with all those, uh, the page already took me forever, but it uh, it would have been too much work, especially because some of these characters are about a quarter inch high in the end of the printed page, mm-hmm. and you can't really see. So uh, a lot of comics creation is choosing your battles and where do you spend your time and where do you use at least some modicum of shortcut. Yeah, but you're not joking. I just tried to do a really quick count, and I probably missed the count, but I, I got 56 people just like, yeah, like, and like, unique. Like, yeah, that's crazy. And, and you didn't originally draw it this small, right? So, this no, is like, I don't know what size this is. Yeah, so a comic book is about seven by 10 inches, okay. and these were drawn at 10 by 15. Hmm. So, this double page spread was. Uh, 20 inches wide by 15 inches high. What is it? So, what is it like to do that? Because, like, how, how do you be purposeful with those decisions? Because, like, there's also pages where there's a clear border around things, but like this double spread, it goes, it bleeds throughout. Like, yeah. But you know that you're going to lose some characters. So, I'm like, assuming. Yes. Yes. You overdraw. But I also know the margins of the printed page. And so okay. I. I overdraw, but I only overdrew by a quarter of an inch. Hmm. So I know where the where the paper is going to be cut okay. uh, with a relative degree of accuracy. So I'm not expending energy um, that's that's wasted. So do you you sketch and then ink and then do you like scan it to get it digitally or? Yeah, yeah. So I I. Do, I do the whole book in thumbnails. So I drew every page at about an inch tall. Mm. Um, I drew every page just with stick figures and the roughest outline of the story, uh, not even 
real text, but just story beats written out. Um, and then from there, I look at the thumbnail and I can lay out my page. And I do it all in pencils and then ink. And then I have a, a large scanner and then I color it digitally, yeah. Sorry, if you'll uh, tolerate my questions about the process, because I'm like so fascinated. I am not a visual artist. <laughs> um, I mean, I've tried, but it's not my thing. Um, you know, writing is my thing, but like how much, how much changes between like um, the sketch and the inking? Do you like change things as you go? Do you find it develops? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because when I'm doing the thumbnails and the sketches, it's really just what, what do I think when I have the story in my mind, what do I think is going to be important to see? Mm -hmm. But then when I go to lay it out on a page and I have 15 inches by 10 of real estate to work with, I can really push things around. I can add extra panels. I can remove panels if I need to simplify. Um, mm -hmm. And I, uh, I can, I can tweak how many characters are in a panel. Um, so it, it changes quite a lot. Uh, and then from, from the pencils to the inking, there's really no change. It's just, I fix drawing mistakes, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not changing composition at that point. I don't trust myself as a inker to, to go off script mm -hmm. that much. Yeah. I love the way you talk about waiting in line. Um, We've talked about this already. A lot of this is you waiting in line. Yeah. <laughs> waiting in line can be an active thing, though. You've clearly yes. made this an active thing by yourself. I'm just reminded of a couple of my favorite times waiting in line. If I, are you guys okay if I share a random story? Please. Um, okay. Um, in high school, I was, my, my high school orchestra went to Disney World um, for a trip. And. I had like the little book and I was you know, trying to figure out, okay, where are we going to go? I, I was kind of leading my group of friends around at the park and, and my dad was a chaperone was also looking at the same book. So kept bumping into each other, which is like, okay, I am my dad, but um, I am of the, like Disney does a great job of like helping you know, like when you're waiting in line, you're not like bored. Like there's things to do. Um, but I took it the next step further. As you both know, I'm way over the top as a person sometimes. And so I brought Mad Libs with me, which if you haven't done a Mad Lib before, um, they're the type of sh story that forces you to know the difference between an adjective, a verb, and an adverb, um, as well as a noun. And so you like you say a noun, you say, give me a noun, and somebody will tell you a noun, and you write it down. And at the end of it, you have this story that is like telling the story of like a normal day, but nobody knew what the day was about when they gave up the words. So like, like, you know, Andrew went for a walk down the prairie and bumped into the gopher, you know, singing the blues, you know, like all of a sudden, like these things change. And so I was in line at the haunted house um, with a, like, there are like 15 of us at this time. And we were doing Mad Libs for like 45 minutes because it took forever. And just laughing. I think I also brought catchphrase, like the game with the beep, 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 beep
which is not a great game to play. Like, you know, uh, especially when there's people around that don't know you're playing that game. Um, it's nowadays. And at the end of the time, like right when we were about to enter into the ride, uh, we asked a couple, the family in front of us, which like a family of four from Florida, to take a picture of us. They're going to take a picture of us. And, like, and then they said, do you mind if we take a picture of you with our camera as well for our record? Like <laughs> This has been such a memorable part of our trip. <laughs> and so they're like, whatever. So they also took a picture of us with their phone. That's amazing. Then we go on this, this ride and we're leaving it. And there's like the exit ramp. And it was at the time where all of us thought the coolest thing ever was Bernieing, which is like from Weekend at Bernie's where he's dead and then he walks around with his arms down and kind of looks like, like Charlie oh, yeah. X. And so we were, we were doing that walking down the road, <laughs> the, the walking escalator. And this voice comes over the speakers and says, please no Bernieing as you exit the ride. <laughs> And, you know, me as an individual, it takes me, like, lots of energy and lots of showing, lots of words to, like, convey that. And you do that through subtle gestures, through facial expression changes in your character, like, from, like, a pondering face to a smile. And even sometimes just through, like, seeing only a quarter or half your face. Like, you are able to internally, like, help us help the reader understand what's happening without all of the flamboyant fluff that I throw out in life. And I think that's a real incredible skill of yours that is really clear, especially in this piece, but also in regular life as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, part of that, that's, that's the beauty of comics. Um, you can, you can show and not tell. Um, I won't say I'm always successful when I try it in these books, but I appreciate you pointing to the, to the sequence and uh, I think it does work. And, and it, to your point about waiting in line can be an active um, event. I feel in myself that that's something that I've gotten harder over time where growing up before there were cell phones and things like that, mm -hmm. Cause you wait in line a lot in your life every day for many different things. <laughs> yeah. And I used to be very good at being very patient and just noticing what's going on around me. Mm -hmm. And now that I have my phone, it's very easy to just pull out my phone. If I have to wait for 10 seconds for something. <laughs> uh, and then you stop it from being a, an active thing and it's harder to be patient. And so, Again, going back to the idea we talked about earlier about these quiet moments, mm -hmm. these moments where nothing really is going on, but everything is going on. If you if you look at it and and just give it the the weight of what life, it's part of life, and uh, you can treat it that way. I have one thing I want to talk about as like a transition to our next piece. Uh huh. Um, but is there something you like want to bring up that we haven't talked about from Komodo Queen and me, which really is, I have a thing. It's one of my favorite pieces. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Hunter. It's, a thing. it's about the end of the, the comic. Um, and it's not exactly a spoiler, but if you want, I don't know, a, a fresh experience, um, which I highly recommend. Uh, 
turn our podcast off and um, go buy one. We'll have links and everything in the uh, in the show notes. Um, but I have been reading, uh, trying to work my way through. Uh, I got a book of Poe's essays and reviews, like nonfiction. I worked through his theory of verse, um, and now I'm trying to work through his theory of poetry. Um, but one of the things that he talks about is, in his opinion, the goal of poetry is, you know, the ultimate goal is the elevation of the soul. Uh, like the experience mm -hmm. of poetry, elevating the soul. Um, and the end of this, like, it's you in the crowd and, and you use the color really well. You put like a little halo around you. It's like the end of the concert and, you know, people are starting to leave and stuff. Uh, and then you just let out like a, ah, um, and which is like so well communicated with and so simply with like the character of the, the border around the text, like the. Like, you know, that's a breath. Yeah. Out. Yes. Um, and, and then you, you know, you stare at the moon, um, just a beautiful, beautiful panel with the night sky. Uh, and then this really like great sequence of just one, two, three, four, five little panels of you driving home, opening the door, taking out pencils and pens and starting to draw. Um, and like this moment elevated my soul because when I've gone, when I've gone to concerts and things um, and like really it, it's like the moment where you realized what you've experienced, where, where you let yourself uh, enjoy it, you know? Um, and it's just such a great ending. Thanks. Yeah. It is an ending. And at the same time, it's, there's almost, there's really no story. There's basically no story to the comic, right. but in these last few frames, it, it ties yeah. it together. So yeah, I, cause with regular life, I'm going back to that because I, I approach the storytelling the same way. Mm -hmm in Komodo Queen, um, where it's not necessarily about having a punchline. You're not necessarily telling a story. It's, it's the feelings, the events, the, the details that you see. Um, but I did allow myself a little artistic, uh, flourish <laughs> here to, to put together, um, more of a meaning or more of a story, yeah. uh, with this. Yeah. Was, was my interpretation, in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Is is there a question that you wish people would ask you about art? Um the the main thing I'll cheat on this and answer a different question. Okay. So what I will say is that the main thing that people tell me when they talk about art 
is they say, oh, you're so talented. I can't draw. <laughs> like they can't draw. I wish I could draw, but I can't draw. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that more people would just draw mm-hmm. because it's, I'm not born with something <laughs> that makes me good at drawing. It's not, it's, other than I pay attention to what's happening around me. And so I can pick up on some of these details and that's Mm. what I like to capture in my comics. But other than having a a curious mind, the actual act of drawing is something that children do. Anyone can do it Mm. and everyone draws different. And, and so it's, I think it's really a, it's, it's a very open, easy level of entry. You don't need complicated or expensive tools. You don't need a team you can do it by yourself. You can do it with materials you have in your house. Mm. And uh, so the question that I that I wish people would ask me is really more just I hope that when people see this that they can feel like they can do something like this. It doesn't have to be drawing, but that they can see, especially with, as you say, the resolution of the Komodo Queen story is taking the events that have happened and then chronicling them mm-hmm. and turning it into uh, a, a work of art. Um, I, I would hope that people would want to, to do that and take it a step further than just posting um, a picture of the event on Instagram or something, but right. try to, to create something. Have you tagged the band? In no. The post you've done? No. Uh, yeah. I, on purpose, I didn't. Uh, I, I originally was thinking if I could do this actually about the band. And so I reached out to their manager, uh, and they did not get back to me. So I took that as a, as a, no, don't use the band, (laughs) um, which I feel, I feel better about not using the actual band anyways. Mm -hmm. But if you like the band, there's a lot of Easter eggs in here that, Mm. um, will make sense to you. And, uh, I, I didn't tag them. I I might like find if they have a PO box or something and send a few issues to them. I think that could be fun. Mm. Yeah. Is are even like the album covers? Yeah, yeah. The album covers and the album names are all references. That's fine. I love the way you draw yourself as a <laughs> as a character. So I never knew you. No, you, you never had knew this, me in this full stage. head of hair uh, and, and face of hair. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is me. This is in Komodo Queen and in regular life. I draw myself the way I looked when I was 23. <laughs> um, I had a big head of hair. Uh, it's kind of combed down, but it's puffing up on the top. Curls around the back, full beard. Uh, that's the way I looked for 16 years of my life. Okay. Like from, from high school up until almost age 30. Uh, that's how I looked. And... Uh, now I just look like a kind of a round guy with a bald head and it's not as interesting to look at. So that's not how I draw myself in my comics. I draw myself back when I had cool, cool hair and a beard. (laughs) At the, at the end of Komodo queen, you can see a a more realistic current picture of me uh, looking down. So it accentuates my bald spot (laughs) and uh, yeah. I thought a fun transition to the next part of the conversation, kind of as we um, talk, move more towards your art, and we can we can hit on a couple more of the shorter 
comics if you want to, um, um, would be there, there's uh, this is this is a game that I'd find fun. Knowing both of you, I think you'll find this less fun, but I still oh boy, I'm going to uh, make have you join me in it. Um, towards the end of the book, there the comic book, there's a page where you look around the, the crowd and it's pretty and it says the looking around the crowd is pretty eclectic. Um, and then there's pictures, the eight panels. Hunter, let me know when you're there. I'm there. Okay. <clears throat> I thought it would be really fun if we created little uh, names for what these characters were based off of what they reminded us of or who they reminded us of. I or... almost put that in the book. Did I you? almost okay. put little captions explaining these people that I saw, but the 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 drawings were already so small of them. I didn't want to to crowd them with text. Okay, so this isn't like too far afield. From... No, no, no. It was. It, it almost made it in the book. Um, I figured there's eight of them, so we don't all have to have ideas for all eight of them. But I figured we could throw out some of some thoughts. Um, we could start at the top left and just kind of read down like like a, a book. Um, so start with the guy with the ferret on his head. Um, <laughs> Join us next time for the exciting conclusion of Eric's guessing game. If you would like to play along, you can go to the show notes and purchase Komodo Queen from Andrew Mosher's website. Thank you for listening.